you. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, it's nice to be with you out here in the beautiful part of the world. And uh, just drove out from Langley this morning, and it's so uh, special to see the snow up on the hills. And yeah, it's a beautiful spot, and it's just great to be here with you. It's my first time here at the Agassiz campus. Last night I was with the Lake Arrock campus. And that was great, too. I had been there quite a few times back in the early days trying to help that church sort of come to a, a place of uh, transition. And maybe some of the folks from the Lake Arrock Church are attending here. Is that true? Any, any of you from the Lake Arrock Church originally? Yeah, okay. Thank you. you. Yeah, okay. Great to see you. And, uh, yeah, super, super excited uh, to see the 75th anniversary there of... Uh, of Central Community Church, and of course, I worked with Ron Van Acker, had the privilege of working with him, because he worked in the office, also in this conference work that I do. Some of you might not know that the uh, Central Community Church is a part of the Mennonite Brethren family of churches. Um, you know, we call it MB for short, because, you know, unless you know something about the history, the words of Mennonite Brethren don't maybe raise more questions for you than, than answers. Uh, but, uh, and I, I don't have time to go into that today, but that's a, just a bit of our history. But we're about 100 churches here in British Columbia, and of course we have a national, uh, we have churches across Canada as well. And uh, we do some stuff together, like we have a Bible college here in Abbotsford, and that's a great place for young and old to study God's Word, to be prepared for ministry or life or careers. They're offering options uh, even for, um, they started a new program at Columbia Bible College for training uh, people in um, sort of ancillary health care uh, programs. So that's great training that's available there through our college. So that's a great place. We also have our camps. We have five camps operating in British Columbia. And every year there's thousands of kids that hear the good news of Jesus Christ through our camping ministry. And then we're involved in global mission. Some of you are supporters of global mission through Multiply, our organization. And that includes church planting here uh, in BC as well. So those are just a few things. And then my work is basically I get to visit the churches and the pastors. And it's really, it's uh, like a, a, an incredible privilege um, for me to be able to go around and see what God is doing in uh, churches around our province. And it's always encouraging. And I love worshiping with other uh, churches too, just to see how the Lord is being lifted up. And um, yeah, it's good. So this morning I want to talk to you from... Uh, a good message for the coming new year, for 2020. And I want to talk to you about fear and what God's word would say to us about our fears. You might say, well, I'm not really afraid of anything. Um, but I think that we live in a time where fear is uh, really prevalent. Uh, now, some of, this weekend, the news, uh, this Iranian general, Soleimani, was taken out by U.S. forces. I was listening to the 10 o'clock news just as I was pulling in this morning. The uh, Iranian government was chanting, death to America. And the news headlines are saying, perhaps war would be coming. At the very least, we should expect an increase of terrorist attacks in Europe and in the West, possibly in America. These kind of headlines we've been living with uh, for the last decade. We have gone through, and I was thinking about this list of mass shootings. That's like normal now. We, we hear about it. And, and mass killings of various kinds. They're not just in the States. It happens in Canada. It happens in our neighborhoods. 
Uh, in Toronto in 2018, a van drove on the streets, uh, killed 10 uh, people, um, and injured a number of others. And so you and I have questions, like I found when I'm in a public space in a busy place, maybe this happened to you, you're at a mall, you're somewhere, and you're wondering, huh, I wonder if I, I, wonder if I should be here. Like, maybe this, isn't, maybe this isn't a good thing. Something could happen. You know, we're downtown Vancouver, there's a lot of people. I wonder, I wonder if something could happen here. I mean, our family was in London uh, for a wedding just in the fall. And my niece was getting married there in London, so you know we crossed over the uh, London Bridge. You know, it's it's right there, close to Westminster Abbey, and we crossed over that a few times. There was some stabbings there uh, a couple of years ago, and then on the news a few weeks after we got home, there was another stabbing right on the bridge. I was like, "Yikes! That's a bridge we were walking across." So it's become commonplace for us to think and realize that the world isn't quite the safe place that we thought it was. Then, of course, we got headlines like global warming and uh, read the headline uh, in the paper here that a, a, a parent uh, of a, a grade two, grade two uh, student uh, was complaining to the school because as her, uh, this mother, as her daughter came home from school, she said, Mom, I, I, I don't want to die. And she said, well, why are you talking like that? She said, well, we were watching, and they were watching Greta Thunberg's uh, uh, United Nations address. And, you know, in the background when the address is given, there's a, a clock, a global warming kind of a clock that has kind of a, you know, a deadline, tick, 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 you know, till, I don't know, till the oceans melt or till we all drown or something horrible happens. And that's all that this uh, grade two student could, could take from it. And so the parents are just saying, what are you doing? Like, you're causing this child to have fear. They need to have a childhood, not to worry about all these things. My wife and I were talking about this, and we were thinking about when we were young, um, what the deal was. And I remember nuclear holocaust. That was the thing. Like, uh, there was nuclear armament, and uh, people were building bunkers, storing food in case of nuclear attack. Janet was saying when she was in school, overpopulation was a thing. And, I, and by the way, with, the, with nuclear holocaust, there was a clock too. And the clock was always, you remember this, it, what time are we in the nuclear alert? It's 11.59, you know, it's just one minute to midnight. And, uh, and, and, and that was a real threat, right? But we were living with this. And those kind of clock things, they strike fear in our hearts. We're like, wow, time is running out. Janet was saying overpopulation was a thing. They were taught in school that the world was running out of food and the population crisis would mean that probably they would not live to see their grandchildren. So that's what my wife remembers from school. So here we live in a society and I think it's just getting ramped up by way of the media, the access that we have to media now. So social media, news, it's just in your face. You can't get away from it. And we're seeing so much fear. Think about these things. Genetic modification, artificial intelligence, economic recession, immigration, euphoria about the elected official, then horror about whoever is our president or our prime minister. Fear of identity theft. You know, I was getting the kids' wallets for Christmas. That was a bit of a fail. I returned them already, but, um, you know. <laughs> then I was looking at the wallets, and they have different kind of wallets now, security wallets, boom. So no one can steal your identity. Your credit cards are, I thought, oh, I, I need one of those. You know, I need one of those. Somebody could steal my identity. 
I think people are afraid also of being ridiculed for personal views or feelings, right? That's becoming, and that's an effect of social media a lot. What if we get bullied? What if people find out? What if they find out I'm a Christian? What if they find out I'm gay? What if they find out that they could attack me, they could bully me? This isn't just about Christians being victimized, but it's about our whole society being pushed into groups who then judge other groups, and because of fear, we don't, we don't treat each other as people. You know, our church, North Langley, we, um, we took in a refugee family, Hassan and Torfa. They came from Syria. They're Muslims. And um, we actually have people in the church making comments in the lobby. Why are we doing this? Why are we bringing terrorists here? It's like, oh, that's not a Christian response to reaching out to a refugee family. And uh, it's, but why, why would people say something like that? They're afraid. We had Hassan and Torfa um, and their kids uh, come to the service uh, a while after, after they'd been with us for a year for a bit of a celebration. We did a little video, inter- video interview. My wife and I were filming them, and Hassan is uh, talking in Arabic, and he says, praise Allah, praise Allah, you know, for uh, everything, because he's very devout, right? So on the video, we have this, you know, praise Allah, and people are like, I can't believe he's praising Allah on the video in church. I'm like... Okay, he's a Muslim. Yeah, but it's, I said, are you worried about God that he is offended? Because uh, I don't think he is. You know, God knows who he is. Uh, are you worried about yourself that you might be converted to Islam? Like, we're not going to be converted to Islam here. We're trying to reach out and show this man the love of Christ. But it's fear. It's like, what, what, what could happen? And what, what are these people representing? So that's going on in our society. We become very hypersensitive. I think the word we use around this is identity politics. That's been made popular by Jordan Peterson. And uh, it's this idea that we group ourselves into our identity groups, and then we judge each other. And it's fear that's behind that. There is fear and mistrust of authority, fear of men. Fear of women, what they will say, the whole hashtag Me Too movement. You know, there's reason for people to be concerned. There's been horrible abuse and ongoing clergy abuse and teachers abusing and people in authority. But the response is a rejection and a fear of all authority. And that's not right. That causes us to live hindered lives. Yes, so many fears. Then there's personal fears that maybe some of you are experiencing. And you're wondering, is he going to just talk about fears the whole morning? We will get to the text. But there's fears that we deal with personally. And maybe you came this morning with fears. I was thinking about this for myself and personal fears. And like I turned 60 in the fall, which is hard to believe, uh, but it's happened. And, uh, and then, so I was thinking about fears. What are fears that are in my life? Well, as I've gotten in my late 50s and 60s, my wife and I sometimes joke that we can't remember obvious things. Names of people. The other day, we were, well, we, when we were in London, we were at a market in Notting Hill. And I was sitting there, I was like, we were at that market. What was the name of that place? And I was thinking, da, 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 Julia Roberts, da, 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 Hugh Grant, those things. What was the name of it? So we kept eating up to 10 minutes later, Notting Hill, she says to me. And I was like, yes. And then we both look at each other like, this is depressing. I mean, the brain just does not access things. So you have a fear as you get older, like because dementia is a big thing. Alzheimer's is a big thing. What's going to happen to my mind? Will I lose my mind? Will I be able to communicate with people? 
Those are legitimate fears. Elderly people have fears about their finances. Uncertainty, what will I live on? Fears about their health. That's not just elderly people, that's of all ages. What's gonna happen to me? In my family, fears about the food that we eat. There's toxins in the food. We can't eat this, we can't eat that. So fear is everywhere. I do not believe that God wants us to live in fear. And if we live in fear, we will be hindered in moving forward. This is the thing. Fear immobilizes us. Wait, you know, a psychologist who study the brain, the people who study the brain, they tell you about your brain. It has a backside and a front side. That's kind of obvious. I'm quite a scientist that way. But um, the thing is, when fear happens in our lives, there's a back part of our brain that has the automatic responses, the instant responses. And there's two words that begin with F that characterize the, the, the responses. What are they? Fight or flight, right. Oh, that's a fight, flight, yes. Fear causes uh, an instant reaction in our brain. And when those things kick in, we lose our ability to make objective decisions. We, we start just responding automatically. And there's a front part of our brain that helps us process things better, gives us better decisions, but it's hard to stop the initial reaction of our fear. And I believe that the enemy exploits our weakness for fear. If he can get us afraid, there is an enemy of our souls, friends. Uh, the world isn't just a good, friendly place. There is evil in this world. There is, uh, you know, and we all have a bent towards it. We, it's like our, our minds are tuned to listen. And fear gets a hold of us very quickly, and it immobilizes us. We can't move forward. We can't make decisions. We don't want, no, can I turn to the right? Can I turn to the left? What should I do? I'm afraid. Isaiah 40 is the passage we're looking at this morning. And uh, we are going to do the impossible. We're going to look at a whole chapter and look at how this prophet, Isaiah, gives a word to encourage a people in a time of fear. And I'm afraid I will run out of time. So I will put my watch right there which means nothing. Uh, so Isaiah, amazing prophet. Some of you have loved the prophets. Others you go, I don't read that stuff because it just doesn't make sense to me. So the prophetic language, it's just different. It's more like poetry. It's a person envisioning what the Spirit of God puts on their heart. But there's always a current message. The prophet is speaking to his people to a time to bring them a message from God. But the prophet also is inadvertently, in many cases, giving a message that will apply to future generations. And in Isaiah, you can see it beautifully. In fact, we're going to come to parts of this chap very chapter that we sing today at Christmas time in Handel's Messiah. Because when Isaiah wrote it, he did not know that he was foretelling the future and the coming of Messiah. And Isaiah is well known to us because there's many prophecies of the coming of Jesus in this prophet who spoke to the people of Israel some 500 years before Christ came. And he spoke to the people of Israel in a special context. So in the land of Israel, just like today, there's a lot of fear. There's groups, you know, the uh, government of Israel is trying to protect from Hezbollah, and they've got, this, they've got the Iranians that they're worried about, and all kinds of power, and the Russians, what's going on? So Israel's always there constrained and fighting off its enemies. Well, in those days, the looming enemy against Israel was the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire was the most powerful, most destructive, and cruelest empire ever to come onto human history. 
and they would be like we would think about Nazi Germany. And we think about the Nazis, and uh, of course, my parents grew up there, and they were German and came up, and they thought the Nazis were great because they rescued them from Stalin and the Russians. But they didn't understand that the Nazis had a sinister, dark motive to eradicate and genocide against the Jews. And so nowadays, we just like, what kind of evil possessed this regime and we, we would fear that. Just imagine what the world would be like if, if they hadn't been stopped. And so the Assyrians were like that. They were cruel and genocidal. And they, they exploited every people that they dominated. They, they started the system of deporting their victims. So when they took over area, they just took everybody and said, da, we're moving you here. So they disoriented everybody. Anybody that rebelled against them, they impaled them on sticks. They slayed them a lot. Uh, they killed them, flayed them, put their skins out there for people to see. It was just every unthinkable horror. And they put this all in inscriptions, and archaeologists still dig up. And it's a well-known fact about the Assyrian Empire. So there was good reason for the people to be afraid. There was great fear in the land of Israel because Assyria had already taken over the northern part of Israel, and now Jerusalem was under siege as well, or would be soon. Assyrians didn't actually care about Israel. They wanted Egypt. Egypt was you know, the other great rich power of that age, and the Assyrians were determined to get there. They had to go through Israel to get there. So this is the context where Isaiah is writing, and here he gives a message to them in the context of their fear. And we're going to invite the Lord to laser his truth on the fear that's in our hearts today too. And I pray that uh, he will bring boldness as we were singing to live boldly. That's what God wants us to do, to move forward. So let's look. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says our God, your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So there's a message of comfort. Right out of the gate, we see that God's attitude towards the people, this is the message that the Spirit of God puts on Isaiah the prophet to give to the people of Jerusalem. Speak tenderly to them. Hey, this is good news. God comes to us with a message of comfort. And the first message that he says out of the gate is that God has not left us in our sins. He's not abandoned us to our sin. This is interesting because you'd think the people, first of all, go like, sin, shmin, we're worried about the Assyrians here. But the people of Israel, they knew why the Assyrian empire was coming after them. They knew in their hearts that it, there was judgment from God because they had abandoned God. And Isaiah also, he talks in the early chapters all through about Israel's unfaithfulness. He says, you have exploited the poor. You have neglected uh, the widows. You have lived for yourself. You have followed the gods of the people around you rather than honoring me. And because of your sin, judgment is coming. Now, in our culture, in our time, most we we just don't think about this. The media never talks about this. Like anybody, time, anytime anybody says, "Well, you know, you have sin issues," like, "Oh no, don't do that. Don't put that on me. Don't make me feel guilty." We're very guilt averse in our society. But deep down, I would like to say to all of us, our biggest problem is not external. Our biggest problem in our lives is inside of us. It's our sin. If there's something that should cause us fear, it's fear that we would stand before a holy God one day and be called to account. Because God knows us, and he's infinitely holy and beyond us. And all our selfishness, 
even our lack of care, the things that we don't do, we neglect to do for others, they stand in judgment against us. This is an issue. It's what separates us from God. And God says, speak tenderly to my people. Their sins have been paid for. This is an amazing message. Here Isaiah is saying to the people, listen, your sins have been paid for. Now, brothers and sisters, what the prophet foresaw and told has been fulfilled for us beautifully and, glor- and gloriously beyond compare because our sins have truly been paid for double and many times over by Jesus, our Redeemer. The living Son of God came, identified with us, took our sins upon himself, and went to the cross. In ancient world, it was not common to, you, when, when someone committed a crime, you didn't just pay double. They made, that you paid triple, 10 times, 50 times, even uh, like in the, in, in the book of Genesis, uh, one of Adam's descendants says, you know, if someone does something to me, they'll, they'll pay, you know, 10 times over. I will make people pay. And so people understood that, that you didn't, if you did something wrong to a God, you are going to get it many times over. The Lord Jesus, what he suffered for us on the cross, atoned for our, it doesn't matter what your sin, my sin, what we did against God, what Jesus suffered for us, atones for us. This is a glorious thing. Nothing you can do can measure to the great sacrifice that he's given for us. That's a hopeful message for us. You know, all of our sins atone for. Comfort, comfort. So God has not abandoned us. He's not left us in our sins. That's a, a foundational piece that uh, I, we, we need to make at the beginning. And look at how this uh, then rolls out. Verse 4. Every valley, uh, a voice of, let's, let's read this together here. It's just because uh, it's hard to stay awake in a nice warm room. In fact, I'm going to take off my vest here. I'm starting to roast. Let's all read it together. One, two, three. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So, I already mentioned that we sing this in the in the Hallelujah Chorus, in Han- or not the Hallelujah Chorus, but in Handel's Messiah, there's another, uh, there's a specific person in the New Testament. Does anyone want to venture a guess that this refers to? Who per- John the Baptist, exactly. He was a fulfillment of this. So you can see, this is how the prophet worked. He's telling the people, listen, I got good news. This is it. This is the good news. Make a new highway. Build a road. And what he's saying is make a straight path. People can come to God. This is like level the road. Make It's talking about access. And this is what John the Baptist came. He fulfilled. He says, I'm here to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And then in Handel's, uh, in Handel's Messiah, we sing about it because Jesus is the way maker. He made the way. He is the highway by which we come to God. And so this is a great fulfillment of hope, a message of hope. And it's saying, be bold. The glory of the Lord will be revealed and all mankind together will see it for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. Now, zipping along, he says, a voice cry out and and I said, what shall I cry? And here's verse 6. 
All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, grass withers, the flowers fall, and the word of our God stands forever. What is he saying to us? He's saying, look, your lives are short-lived. You're temporal. In my Bible, I wrote this. I don't know what year I wrote this. I wrote, why I am not God, because the years will roll on and I will be forgotten. I will be forgotten. My life is borrowed from him. I am not God. Listen, there's a teaching line in, uh, uh, among Christians, I guess, call themselves Christians, that seem to just emphasize, oh, we're just, you know, we, God is in you. God is you. God is everything. God is not you. He is not me. He's not everything. He made everything. He's gloriously revealed in us. We're made in his image. Everything reflects his beauty, but he is transcendently other and beyond us. We are temporal. Our lives are short. Our lives are borrowed. And so that often causes fear. And here the prophet is saying, listen, this is true about you. Face it, it's reality, but this is the good news. You have an eternal soul. God has an eternal purpose for your life. I mean, we're learning, thankfully, that the Christian life isn't just about saying yes to Jesus and getting, you know, an emergency ticket to heaven so that when I die, I go to heaven. God came into our lives not so that we could just park on the side of the road and wait for our hitchhike ride to heaven one day. He came to us so we could get moving and reflect his glory and show his goodness in this world and live for him. And be ready for heaven whenever that happens and whatever that looks like in its beauty and its glory. But the fact remains we have an eternity to look forward to. This brings hope when we are sometimes afraid. If we think about my life and this is a thing, again, as you get older, you go, wow, I just cleaned up the Christmas stuff. I feel like I just did that. <laughs> and then I, as I put it away, I thought, oh, dread, it will be but a few, it will be but a few sleeps and I will be doing this again. <laughs> Somebody stop me. You know? I do not like this. How much, time have I, how much time of my life, how many hours and days of my life have I wasted cleaning up Christmas stuff and putting it away? So that's what, these are the kind of thoughts that people who get older think. So what you're thinking is my life is temporal. It's short. And I tell you, the hope for eternity is very meaningful. You have a hope for eternity. There's stuff you won't get to in this life. You'll have forever. And it just won't be, you know, cream cheese on a cloud. God has, he's reforming creation. It's going to be awesome, amazing. We'll get to know God. We'll meet our Savior. We'll get to know the saints. We'll learn about the universe. We'll learn about all that God has done. So we have eternity. Hey, so God gives us confidence. And then we see it in verse 9 and 11. That the prophet says, so you who've got these good news, shout it on a mountaintop. Live boldly. God gives us confidence. Don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Now look at this message, verse 10. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. This is, this is a picture like, look at this muscle. Look at these guns. You know, this is God. His arm rules for him. He's powerful. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. Amazing words talking about the power and authority that comes with God. Then, verse 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd and gathers his lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart and gently leads those that have young. Oh, this is, this is our God. He is sovereign, powerful, able, but he cares. He's tender and loving. What a beautiful picture. And who, 
Who fulfills this more than Jesus, our Savior? He is the Lamb of God that was slain. He is a shepherd of our souls. But he is also the mighty God, the everlasting God. Again, you think about Handel's Messiah, the picture that he saw. Beautiful, transcendent God seated at the right hand of the Father, the coming judge, Jesus our Lord. So have confidence. Hey, now let's buzz along and see what other messages of hope he has. So verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in the basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in balance? So here he's giving a picture saying, look, in terms of creation, you think creation is impressive? Listen, it's handled easily by God. This is a good word for us. Isaiah had no idea about global warming. But I, I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, I, I'm not here to say this is happening, that is happening. Of course, we're concerned about our environment. We should be. We should be careful of how we treat it. We've been exploiting our world, disregarding it. I've been guilty of that. I think we all, it's a Western way of doing things. We just use things. In some ways here, in our, our indigenous nations are ahead of us on this. The indigenous people respect the land. They realize that it should be treated with respect. Western people, I think, ever since the Industrial Revolution, we just use it. It's like someone said, had said to me, it's like we're living in a hotel, you know? Just like, oh, we just use everything and then we move away. No, this is, this is God's world. This is our Father's world, as that old hymn says. This is my Father's world. He made it. And he handles it easily. See, he measures it. You know, Isaiah's using pictures that relate to them. So his hand breadth, baskets, scales. We don't measure things that way anymore. We have scientific ways, lasers, light. We measure in light years. We know so much more about the universe. Listen, science is a great thing for a Christian to pursue. Because we're learning and measuring the universe that God has created. The more we know about it, the deeper our wonder and majesty at God. And look at what he continues on. So who understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the understanding, the path of understanding? What Isaiah is saying. He's comparing how the, local, the other uh, peoples of the, that, of the Middle Eastern time in that time, how they thought about the gods. And if anyone has read you know, ancient mythology, even Greek and Roman mythology, uh, but others, Babylonian mythology and stuff, they always, when, when they talked about creation, you know, there would be something going on, like a male god and a female god, and then you know, there was a fight, and then, and then somehow creation got born out of that. You know? some, or there was some consultation about the gods to make creation. But here Isaiah says, no, 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 it's not like that. This is the God, the only God, the one God who made everything and measures everything and knows everything and consulted with no one. And uh, it's for our day and age, listen, God did not need Stephen Hawking to point out black holes. He did not need Watson and Crick to come up with the helix, double helix model of the DNA molecule. He designed it. Francis Collins, a wonderful Christian man who was the head of the project to map the human genome, that's great. But God wrote the program. He wrote the human genome. He designed it. He doesn't consult with us. And so we're pursuing, when we pursue understanding, we're in awe of the one who made it. So this is a good message to us about creation. Let's not succumb to creation fear because God is the one who created it, and he still holds the world in his hand. Doesn't mean we shouldn't take steps. Doesn't mean you shouldn't think about buying an electric car. I don't know if that's actually a good decision, but whatever you decide, 
you know, eat organic and do those things, but don't do it out of fear. Third, the nations. Let's look at that because they're causing us a lot of fear. Certainly we're stressed out about what's going on politically. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket, Isaiah says. They're regarded as dust on the scales. You blow it off, clean it off. He weighs the islands as though they are fine dust. And then he has other things to say about the nations. Basically, he's saying it's not that God doesn't care about the nations, but he's saying they're insignificant compared to his power. Even uh, later when we read the story of the Christmas event, you know, it's, uh, our pastor was drawing this out uh, on, on Christmas Eve. He's just from the line that says, you know, Caesar Augustus called for a tax. So Caesar Augustus, guys, ruling the Roman world, like, got, you know, just like, like a god, like the Roman Empire. He calls for a tax. Does he have any idea that the God of the universe is manipulating his desire for more taxes to bring the Savior of the world into Bethlehem? Didn't have a clue. Because God has history in his hands. And the nations, though they're significant to us, and we should care about our country and be good citizens and contribute, but we should remember that God is far beyond and above and can handle even people that we think are crazy. So then Isaiah jumps into the gods and verses 18 and following. He says, to whom would you compare God? What image will you compare him to? And here he draws attention to how those in ancient times, they would make idols. And he says, look, you, you, know, you make an idol and your big thing is to try and make it so it doesn't fall over. Like, doesn't that tell you something? You know, and I would say for us, you know, we're beyond that. Say we don't make idols. But here's what we do do. We do worship uh, what, we, what we build. We, uh, we worship what we make, our technology. We put our faith in it. And what Isaiah is saying, he's telling us, he's like, fallen people cannot make something and then treat it as if it's a god. If it came from you, it's stuck just like you. It's flawed just like you. And we see that again and again. You know, we have great hope in our technology. This is awesome. We're going to fix it. You know, I watched the series Chernobyl. If you want to just be depressed, you know, <laughs> it, was, it, it was the hardest thing I've ever sat and watched. I watched it on a flight. as a five-part HBO series on Chernobyl. Because I remember, I remember that time in the world when that happened. But it's just watching and thinking, oh, my word, like humans, how do we do this? So we have the brains to break open the atom and release nuclear energy, but our fallenness, we mess it up, and then we release like hell on earth. Like it's just horrible what we can do. So, and that's, that's us, you know. So we can come up with the most brilliant technology, and it's like, oh, my word, what are we going to do with it now? We cannot worship our own gods, our own selves, things that we've made. We are not God. There is no salvation in us we need redemption and rescue from the outside and praise God he's done that so let's jump to the conclusion here as we wrap up verse 27 I'm going to skip some of this because he's summarizing things uh, and reiterating to them uh, about the greatness of God all through this chapter you know verse 23 he brings princes to naught he reduces the ruler of this world to nothing no sooner are they planted uh, no sooner are they sown you know they blow away so again this is who God is. And then, verse 27, uh, here's for us for reflection as we close. Do you not know 
or, or sorry, he said, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? So why, why do we act as if God doesn't care or he's not aware? Don't you know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. So why are you still circling around with your fears? Why do you let these things guide you? Why do you think as if he doesn't care or doesn't know or isn't able? So let's sit with that question just for 20 seconds. What is it that we are fearing in our lives? What anxiety has been like a cloud overshadowing your life? Is it uncertainty about yourself, your abilities, fear that you might be rejected, exposed as weak or insignificant? Fear that you may be abandoned, left alone. What is the fear that has been overshadowing your life? And now the everlasting God, the one who knows us, who created us, who loves us, says comfort to you, to me. And he speaks a word to our fear. I am here. I know. I am able. You are frail. You are temporal. I have redeemed you. I will not abandon you. Trust me. Live boldly. Live confidently. Verse 29, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. Let's say it together, verse 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I think that's just for us over 60. They will walk and not be faint. <laughs> Yeah, everyone else can run and soar. Yeah. These scripture verses, uh, these are pictures of movement, of moving forward, of living life with confidence, of taking the next step. This is what God invites us to, what he invites you to in this year. Move forward. Follow me. I have a purpose for you. This could be in terms of a responsibility that you have been afraid to take. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can take responsibility for that. What if something happens? God says, trust me. Seek my face about the next step, but I want you to move forward. I want you to live with confidence and hope in me. Yeah, may God graciously guide us and help us to live not dominated by fear, not treat others based on our fear, but with a deep confidence in him. In Jesus' name, amen.